when you was uh, something I kept thinking about is just how much it's been a busy summer. Uh, we've gone through a, a lot of a lot of different excitement. Uh, Yellowstone Bible Camp season, and, and last week, just last week, we had the youth rally here, and it was amazing to see how many young people from all over this region and Canada came to uh, came to to reconnect and learn how to honor God better. And it was pretty pretty powerful. Uh, I know that I saw from looking behind the scenes and watching this year, and I, I still very much consider myself a newbie here. I've been here about a year and a half. But watching the team that came together to organize that youth rally and all of us that, that helped out in some different ways in order to make it a success, it was really amazing. And when we did a, a debrief on Sunday night with just some of the people that, that helped out, it was amazing just to see the energy on the tail end of things. Oftentimes when you get done with the youth rally, uh, the, the prevailing uh, feeling is, I never want to do that again. I am tired. I am worn out, all of that type of thing. But that's not what happened with this group at all. It was, wow, this was amazing. Here's some ideas of what we can do next year. And it was exciting to see that uh, and excited for the future. And what I'm hopeful for is that all of us can build on that things that happen at the youth rally and, and launch into this fall as we transition into next things, the next season of life in the church, and, and use that to uh, propel us forward and be excited about whatever's next. Coming up, um, I'll give you just a preview. Next week, we're going to be doing our, our uh, Kids Sunday, where we're excited for school to start, whether kids are homeschooled, private school, public school, whatever the situation may be. And there's going to be, we're going to bring the kids up and pray over them and, and honor them and be excited about their next uh, journey in life. And so that's next week coming up. Uh, so we're, we're going to be excited about that. Uh, the weeks after that, getting into September, we're going to take a book out of the Bible and we're going to preach through it together and learn together uh, this fall. And we'll talk about that. I'll talk about that more coming up. But today I was, I was prepping this week and the beginning part of the week I... I uh, was thinking through all sorts of different things. I mean, we've got the whole Bible in front of us. What, what are some? What's going to be beneficial as we start to launch into a new season of, of the church in, in this fall? What would be beneficial for people to hear? Um, and so I started, I was brainstorming, I was praying through it, and I, I asked my kids, I thought, well, I, what a, a different perspective. I'm going to ask my kids, what is something that would be a blessing for people in the church to hear? So I did. I thought about it a little bit, and I asked my kids, and I uh, said, what is, what's going to be important for you to hear when you go back to school and is, uh, life is changing for you? And uh, the first thing that came up from my children was, why don't we talk about that story uh, in the Old Testament about Ehud, the left-handed swordsman who plunged the sword into the king's belly and it disappeared. I said, okay, do you have any other ideas, anything else you, that you think we should talk about? And so there were some different ideas that, that came out. And finally, uh, one of my children said, I think it's about time we heard the story of David and Goliath again, because that is a story that talks about courage, and we sure need courage as we're going back to, to school and starting the fall again. And so I spent time this week going through that story again. And so go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. There's so much here. 1 Samuel 17. And leading up to what we're going to read through is that Saul is the king of Israel. And this is more or less about a thousand years before Jesus is born. So we're talking about a totally different era. 
And Saul is king. He's been appointed by God. But Saul's got a problem. I mean, he looks great. He looks wonderful to everybody around. He is a head and shoulders above everybody else. He looks like a king. He's got all these, these visible qualities that people want to follow. But Saul has a character defect. He's got several. One of them is that he wants to, to please the people more than he wants to please God. And so in the, the chapters before, if you take and look at 1 Samuel 17, you go back a few chapters before that, you see that Saul ends up in a situation where he goes into battle and he's supposed to destroy everything, and he doesn't do that. And Samuel the prophet approaches him and says, Saul, you have been disobedient. You've disregarded the words of God. And what Saul does is he blames everybody else. He blames Samuel for not being there on time. He blames the people. He blames God. He blames everybody else except himself. And Samuel says, no, this is not how this works. God has rejected you as king, and he's going to put somebody else in your place. And so Saul is in a state of, of panic. He's in a state of uncertainty, a state of mourning, because he has sinned against God, and he knows it even if he's not willing to admit it. But when that is the case with people who are leading the people around them, it trickles down, and that tends to permeate everybody else. And so we find Israel in a state right now of uncertainty. And we're going to see that play out. If you look at chapter 17, starting in, in verse 1, what happens is you see the forces of Israel and Judah on one hillside and the forces of the Philistines, their arch enemies, on the other side. And the Philistines were people that worshipped idols. They were involved in human sacrifices. They were people that had really disregarded what God wanted for their lives. And so that brought them into contact or conflict with the Israelites on a regular basis. And this is what happens here in verse 4. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistines' camp. He was six cubits in a span, so over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels, so about 15 pounds. And his shield-bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight me and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, we will be your subjects and serve you, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Okay, so you've got this big bully out there is what it boils down to. As we were reading this story this week, one of the kids asked, wait a minute, is, so was that really the case? If Saul or if Goliath killed the Israelites, they would have to be slaves? I said, what's happening here? This is not a written contract. There's no covenant being made. These are fighting words. Goliath is just being nasty. And he's going out there in, in all his strength and all his power, this well-trained, battle-hardened warrior goes out there. And you can just imagine looking, him looking up at the hillside with all the, the armies of Israel there saying, any one of you come down and fight me right now. 
All you guys, big chickens up there, and you know, doing the chicken dance. I'm sure he didn't do that, but that's the idea. Is that he is taunting? He is saying, "All of you guys are cowards." And this Saul, whom you serve, he is nothing. This God, whom you serve, is nothing. Come down and fight me right now. And the Israelites, it says, they are terrified. And Saul is up there, and, and we know what's happening in Saul's life right now. He's terrified, and so he's projecting that onto everybody else. And the armies of Israel are up there terrified, and nobody will go down and fight Goliath. Day after day after day, this is happening. Now, there's some different things that the Israelites could have done. They could have ignored Goliath and just gone into battle. There's all sorts of ways that they could have handled this. But what they did is they allowed Goliath to control the battle, to control the whole scene, and they sat up on the hillside, and they were terrified. And so we see someone named David... A young guy, it says in verse 12 and the verses following, that he's the son of Jesse. Jesse is very old at this time period. David is the youngest son, and he is tending the sheep. He is he's going back and forth, taking provisions to the armies that are there. And David's three oldest brothers are there in the battle lines. They're, they're there. They're part of the, this fight. Verse 20 it says, early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out, as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle position, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines and facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of the supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man... They all fled from him in great fear. And so the Israelites are saying, wait a minute, anybody who fights Goliath, anybody who goes out there and kills him, you see in the next verse it says, Saul has promised a daughter in marriage and he's going to exempt his, families from, uh, his family from, from taxes. Now that's, a, that's a pretty good deal. And look at verse 26. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So David is a newbie. He comes into this situation and says, What? This Philistine has been here? He's been taunting us? Who is he that he should do that? And they repeat the same thing there, that there's going to be great wealth given to whoever is able to pull this off. Look at verse 28. Then Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with, him, with the men. He burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? I, can't I even speak? Then he turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man. He has been a warrior since his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord has rescued me from the paw of the lion, and the paw of the bear will, re will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. 
And so Saul is convinced by David here, decides to let David go out. And so he's going to do whatever he can to, to help David in this process. And he gets his own armor and he puts it on David. And David tries to walk around in it and says, no, you know, this doesn't fit. This isn't me. I can't do this. This is, uh, th- this is I'm not going to be effective with this stuff. But what David does do is he goes down by the stream and he picks out five smooth stones, something he's familiar with, this weapon that he has used at other times. And I've, I've never seen anybody really effectively use a sling. But if you've seen pictures of it, what it is, it's a piece of cloth or leather, usually about this big, and there was leather straps tied on each side of it. And there's a technique, and I saw someone who wasn't very good at it demonstrate the technique once. But basically what you do is you step forward, and, and it's just like a, like a, basically a catapult in your hand. And I heard a story once about a, someone who was traveling over in Israel years and years ago and came upon a shepherd, a young boy, who was watching these sheep. And he had his sling sitting there beside him. And the man said, can you show me how to use that? And the shepherd boy said, sure. Yeah. He said, can you hit that tree over there? And the shepherd boy looked at him like, who do you think I am? And picked that, that stone up in the sling and just, at a seemed like a huge distance to the man watching, just slammed a rock right into the center of that tree. And he said the force that it had behind it was amazing. And what this, this very small boy was able to do. And so it's not uncommon for these people of Israel at this point in time. Shepherd boys knew how to use a sling, and David is no exception. So he goes and he gets these five smooth stones. There's all sorts of speculation of why, why five. Did, was David living without faith that he thought he needed more than one? There's all sorts of speculation. We do see that in the next uh, while, David and his, his armies end up killing four of Goliath's brothers. And so maybe David thought, man, if I take Goliath down, then I'm going to have to take his brothers down as well, so I better, better be ready for that. We don't know. But David goes prepared. And verse 41 says, Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. And he said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I will give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. And David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel." All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Now that is... uh, Probably, none of us are going to find ourselves in a situation where we are called by God to kill a Philistine, kill someone who is nine feet tall and that. But David lived in the context he lived in. He served God and demonstrated courage where he was placed at that given time. And as I pondered over this this last week, I found a whole lot of things that, that were really convicting for me. So I'm going to share those with you and walk through some of them here. First of all, here's a great lesson that we learned from David and Goliath for us. 
is that God can do big things with small packages. Uh, if you feel at times, or if you're sitting there thinking, boy, I don't know what God could ever do with me. I don't feel like I have much talent. I don't feel like I have a whole lot on the ball. There's other people around me that are so much more talented than myself. Then you're probably in a great spot to be, for God to be able to use you right now where you're at. When you look back, you don't have to look back very far. And David would have known these stories. He would have known the story of Gideon, who considered himself the least of all God's people. And God used Gideon to free his people during the time of the judges, you know, several hundred years before David's time. He would have known that story. He would have known the story of Moses, who is a great prince of Egypt, who had been adopted into the Egyptian families, how he was, he was powerful. He had everything going for him. And God didn't use him during that time, but God used him during a time many years later, 40 years later, when he had humbled himself. And God said, all right, it's time. Let's go set my people free. And Moses says, uh, no, has all sorts of excuses why he's not going to go. So David would have known those stories. And David, in, in whatever way, he understood something here. He understood enough to know that God had continually worked through unlikely people at different times in order to do the things that are big. And so David walks into the situation with his Philistine taunting the armies of Israel, looking around, seeing nothing but fear in the camp, and remembering back the history and thinking, man, the same God that sent the ten plagues on Egypt, the same God that brought us into this promised land, the same God that has done all of this, and now we are terrified of one person that is big that's standing in front of us didn't that get us in trouble before when we were going to take over and come into the land of israel and the spies were sent out and uh, and 10 of them came back and said no the people are too big we can't do that it's too scary i wonder if that wasn't the thought process of david saying no i'm looking out right now and i can see my people there's some bad things that are going down and why not me why not me right now I've got a sling, that's all I've got, and if I die, oh well, but at least I'm going to go down being courageous. And here I go. I may be a small package, but I'm going to do something. And we see that God uses him in really powerful ways here. Uh, when everybody else was quaking in their boots, David was able to, God was able to use David in order to do something very big with a very small package. We also learn from David and Goliath that God's people can get stuck in fear mode. Uh, we as individuals... As a church, that can happen. And I've, I've seen that before in, in churches where we get stuck in fear mode. Something very painful happens. And as a result, we circle the wagons and think, oh man, no, we don't want to experience something like that again. Therefore, when something else comes that even sniffs or seems similar to that, the wagons get circled and fear comes up as, oh man, we, we can't do this. This is terrifying. We're going we're gonna to shut down right now. And those type of things can happen to us as churches and as individuals. So there's things that happen sometimes when we're very young that are very hurtful. And we carry those, those burdens with us, uh, those family of origin issues. Now, pick your topic. But when we allow fear to control us, we never become the people that God really wants us to be. We don't ever do it. And that's something for all of us just to consider. What are things that I'm afraid of right now and things that, that I'm concerned about? And are those things uh, hampering what God really wants me to be? Uh, with the Israelites, they had this great God that had done all this for them, that had continually, consistently rescued them when danger was, was there in their face. 
but yet they continued to be fearful. So that's something for all of us. It's something for me uh, to consider this week. What is, what is something I'm afraid of, and how can I make sure that that does not control me? How can I make sure that I'm living a, a life of courage and not just a life of fear? Another great thing that we can learn from the life of David is that people will discourage you from being courageous for God. Uh, you look at David, there's a lot of people that discourage him during this, during this story here. His enemies... Uh, Goliath definitely discouraged him from being courageous towards God. Goliath called him all sorts of names, called him all sorts of terrible stuff, said, I'm going to come over there and I'm going to kill you and I'm going to feed you the birds. Um, Hopefully none of us say that to anybody else, by the way. But our enemies, uh, people that are enemies of the cross of Christ, are always going to find ways to try to discourage us from doing things that are good. And you'll run into people, maybe there's people like that in your family, maybe there's people like that that you work with, people that we come in contact with that are going to do whatever they can in order to try to discourage us from living a life of courage that would honor God. There's also people that maybe just jealous family members. Eliab, David's oldest brother, looks at David running around saying, hey, what's going on here? And you can imagine what's going on in Eliab's head. It's, oh, there's my little brother again. Ooh, the righteous one. There he goes. He has no idea what we've been up against. He has no idea what's happened here the last while. And uh, I just wish he would shut his mouth. And sometimes we can have that type of jealousy that boils up between us. Um, Also, we see that people will discourage us from um, being courageous towards God. Well-meaning supporters. You notice what Saul says? And Saul is on David's side right here. Saul would be perfectly happy for David to go out there and take Goliath down. But you see what he says? You can't do this. You're too young. You don't have... You don't have this. I'm afraid for your safety to go out there and, and take on Goliath. This guy's been a soldier since his youth, and you're just a boy. You can't do this. Sometimes people can be very well-meaning, but choose safety and security over being courageous for God, people that are close to us. And as I pondered that this week, I think all of us probably, if we think about it, have had people in our lives like that, like all three of these. But the big question is, since we know this is going to happen, that this is going to be life, we realize that there's always going to be opposition when we decide to be courageous for God. How will you handle it? How will I handle it? That's the question that we've got to ask. And you notice David, he does not allow Goliath to get under his skin. David is going to be faithful. He's going to do things the way that God wants him to, no matter what anybody else says there, no matter what Goliath says. He does not allow the jealous family member cause him to become bitter or to change his direction. And the well-meaning supporter of Saul, he just, David just says, no, I can do this. This is a God thing. I'm going to pursue the the courageous path that God wants me to pursue. And you notice in all of that, David doesn't throw a fit. David doesn't say, oh, well, if this has happened, then I quit. Then I leave. I'm not going to pursue the will of God right now. What David does is just very simply does not allow anybody to discourage him and goes forward and does God's will. Man, what a great example for us. So, it's so easy to get distracted by what others say, sometimes well-meaning, sometimes not along the way, that just knock us off the course to being faithful. And David's a great example here of just one who is, refuses to be knocked off course but is going to be faithful no matter what. We see another lesson that we can learn from David and Goliath is that David use, or God uses life circumstances to prepare us to do his will in the future. David comes to the table there 
when he is going to go out and fight Goliath. And you remember what he says? He says, I, um, I've done this before. I've killed a lion. I've killed a bear. I've been in these type of situations before. And may, Goliath doesn't seem to be that much different. I, I can't help but believe that reading through this story is that when that lion and when that bear came and attacked those sheep, that was God working in his way to say, David, I've got a plan for you someday, and you're going to do something great. But you're not ready, and I've got to prepare you. I've got to put these things in your life so that someday you can stand nose to nose or nose to knee, however you want to say it, with this big guy out in the field, and you're going to be victorious, but you can't do it now. And so I've got to send the lion, I've got to send the bear, so that someday you're going to be victorious. And maybe that helps us see different things in our life and different obstacles that we face. Maybe there's something happens in our life and we think, what on earth was that about? Why did I have to go through that? Why did I have to do this? And we may not know in this life, we may know in this life, but someday down the road God places us in a situation to have a great spiritual and moral victory that influences a lot of other people that we would have never been able to do or accomplish if we hadn't had this thing that happened way back in our history somewhere. Hopefully that helps us have a perspective for obstacles that come up in our path. When, when we may be suffering or we may be uh, going back to school, all those type of things that we uh, would rather avoid, maybe we can slow ourselves down, slow our head and heart down, say, God, I don't know why all this is happening. I don't know the cause. I don't know all this. But please help me to learn what I need to to be more effective and be your person in the future. And that, that, I think that's, that's a good place for us to be. That's a good place for us to wrestle through whenever we find uh, bears or lions trying to devour our sheep around us. Uh, we look for ways that maybe God can use this in the future. We learn also from this interaction with David and Goliath to be content to be the person that God has made you to be. Um, David knew enough about himself, and maybe, maybe he didn't think through this process at all. It was just pragmatic for him. When Saul gave him his armor to carry... He said, man, this is just too heavy. I don't feel comfortable with this. I'm just going to go with my sling, and I'm going to be a whole lot better off that way. But what David is doing is, is he, whether he realizes it or not at this point in time, realizes that he cannot be somebody else. Um, I talked with a, I have a habit or something that I developed when I was younger, that whenever I was around somebody who had been in ministry for a long time, I'd ask a question. If you could tell... Um, tell me one thing that's going to be helpful for going forward and being the person that God wants me to be. What is it? And I remember asking that question once and an, an elderly minister telling me, <laughs> he, he laughed, he said, well, one thing that I can tell you that I think this would be really helpful is understand and really be self-reflective about who you are. Because sometimes what happens is we try to be somebody else. And he went on and, and told the story about a friend he had had that he always wanted to be a minister that worked and preached to, in big churches, to large congregations, and that was his, his goal in life. And he just never, nothing ever seemed to work well for him. And years later, when he had become self-reflective, he told my friend, he said, I wanted to be a thoroughbred, and I realized that God didn't make me to be a thoroughbred. He made me to be a mule. And because I was trying so hard to be a thoroughbred, I wasn't a very good mule for a long time. 
And my job is to be a plotter and be in the trenches and do things that, that thoroughbreds can't do. And he had embraced what God had made him to be. And it's important for all of us to have people who are mentors, people that call us higher, just as long as we understand that I will not and should not be that person. I can learn good things from them, but God has made me different. He's made me to be who I am, and I'm going to embrace that. And David somehow understood that, that the state-of-the-art armor that was supposed to make him better was not going to do that. It was going to slow him down. It was going to make him so that it just was not going to work for him. Maybe that's a message for churches, but for us as individuals, is make sure that I am being me, that I'm not trying to be somebody else. I'm going to be the best me that I can be because I know that God has created me somehow, in some form or fashion, with all of the stuff that I've got, whether it be strengths and weaknesses and all of that, to use those to be the best me that I can be. And you see with David is David became a totally different king than Saul because David really embraced on some level who God had created him to be. Pretty good message for all of us uh, to to consider and wrestle with there. Um, Let's look at, there's one more here. What do we learn from David and Goliath? Give credit to God for all of our victories. Uh, boy, that's important. It's, it's easy for us to, to be prideful and when we win or when we have a great victory in life to say, look what I did. Look at this great thing that is accomplished here. But David says, sets out from the very beginning saying, God, you're going to see at the end of the day that God is here and is not by sword or spear that I have in my hand, but by God's power that I'm going to win today. And boy, that's a good message for all of us. Whatever victory we have in life, whether it's being healed from a disease that, um, that's afflicting us or whether uh, business goes very well and we're very successful or our family does well, whatever, any type of victory that we look around, man, we've got to be the first people to say, God has given me victory and he gets the credit for this. And when we do that, we find ourselves being the people that God really wants us to be, instead of being arrogant about the the abilities that he's given us, we recognize that God has given us those abilities and we give that credit right back to him. And David does that and he provides a great example for us. When I back up and I look at this story of David and Goliath, I think, what is it that made David different than all of those different people of Israel that are up there on the hillside, that are watching, that are fearful, at this point in time, what made David different and what made him stand out? And what I keep coming back to is that what the New Testament tells us that we are to be as God's people is that we live by faith, not by sight. And somehow David, as a young man, was able to walk into this situation and where everybody else on the hillside, including Saul, was terrified and just saw this big giant down there that was terrifying, that was screaming all this nasty stuff, and and created this great fear, David was able to walk in and say, I see something different here. I see, instead of this big giant, what I see is this obstacle that God is much bigger than this obstacle. And God can overcome this, and I will not find myself in a situation where I'm living by fear and because I see this obstacle in front, but I believe that God is bigger than this, and I don't know how it's all going to work, and I don't know how it's all going to happen, but I'm choosing to live by faith. Because I know the God that I serve is much bigger than anything else I can see here, and that does not that should not lead me to fear. And as a result of that, David walks out with his sling and with his stone and says, 
I will not allow you as this big obstacle to stand in the way of God and his people. And we will not be fearful anymore. Boy, pretty good example for us, isn't it? And that's the question that all of us can ask ourselves. And I'm going to be asking myself this week is how can I be a person that makes every decision that I have in life by faith and not by fear and not by what I can see, but knowing that God is working all around us somewhere and I want to be a part of that. Therefore, I'm going to live by faith and I'm going to look to see what is unseen and I'm going to live that way. And boy, if we live that way day in, day out, God does amazing stuff through us as individuals and as a church. And that's my prayer for all of us this week. As we, uh, we set to get back into school mode and everything, that we can make a renewed commitment to live by faith and not by sight. If you'd like to become a Christian today, you're welcome to come forward. You can come forward and um, uh, have prayers of the church. And there's also some elders. They'll be waiting in the back if you'd like to uh, have, have prayers today as well. Let's stand and sing together.